heavy metal the way it was meant to be. Classic 80s Underground. On blogtalkradio.com, the Heavy Metal Mayhem Radio Show. With your host, Mike the Big Cheese.
guys. So I'm saying to kick off today's show with Alone at the Dock. And I don't know if anybody can hear me or if it's dead air right now because BTR has been having a lot of trouble the last two days. Uh, I can hear the music through the headphones, but I don't know if you can hear me. I hope so, uh, because we have a great show tonight. Brian Ross from Satan. I'm going to get Brian on the phone in a, in a couple of minutes because it's getting late in the UK. And I, I spoke with Keith Spargo from Silence a couple of weeks ago, and it took me a little while to get this on. So, like I said, I hope that everybody can hear me out there. I'm going to get the interview on a little later in the show in the second half. But right now, hang on with me while I try to reach Brian. We'll get that interview going. And we'll have a good time tonight, hopefully. Like I said, they've been having a lot of trouble with uh, BTR in the last couple of days. So hopefully we can make this work here. And you know what? I don't think we can because uh, it doesn't seem like anything is working here. I can't even access uh, Skype right now. So uh, I don't know. Hey, Amy, I know you're in the chat room. Can you hear me? If so, just let me know. And I'll get another tune on and I'll try to reconnect uh, using Skype again so we could uh, talk to Brian. So, uh, you know what? I'll just get a tune on while we wait. Here's Vendetta, Never Die. Vendetta with Never Die. I got Skype up in another window. Let me see if I can get Brian on the line before we completely crash here today. I do apologize. BTR site was hacked into yesterday, and they've had trouble for the last two days. They're trying to get everything up and running, and it looks like I've gotten further than most other hosts have. Uh, at least I'm on air and getting some tunes out, but let me see if I can get Brian on the line for you right now. Hang on. Hello? 
Okay, that doesn't seem to be working either. <laughs> We're batting a thousand here today. I tell you, we are batting a thousand here. All right, so let me hang up this phone here. Okay, you know what? Let me try something else. I will get another tune on while we wait a little longer. All right, so uh, let me see what I can do for you right now. How about we do Kronos? Uh, this is one called SFV Die Tonight, and this is our demolition segment demo. Hang on, everybody. I'll try one more time another way to get Brian on the line. Because I almost had Brian on the line. Let me try one more time. Brian, are you on the air? Hey, Brian, is that oh, Hello? Hi, ah, is Brian there? Yes, just a second. Thank you. Hello. Brian, this is Mike from Heavy Metal Mayhem. How are you? I'm, I'm fine, thanks, mate. How are I'm, you? I'm, doing, I'm sorry it took me a little longer to get you. We're having a lot of internet trouble here tonight uh, where we are, but I was able to get through finally. And, and it's great to talk to you again, Brian. And, you know, being a big fan, going back to the early days, I can't tell you how thrilled I am that you guys decided as Satan to come out and, and do this new record. I mean, it's 30 years since Caught in the Act. Life sentence yeah, yeah. looks like it's going to pick up right where you guys left off. It's incredible. <laughs> well, that was the intention. Um, what we wanted to do was was not just simply write a new album. We wanted to write the album that we that we should have written in 1984 um, to follow on from Court in the Act. And that's what we set out to do that, and I think we've achieved it, to be honest. Um, uh, you know, that, that's what we wanted to do, and um, we're very pleased with what we've got. Oh, it, it's incredible. I mean, I've heard most of the tracks on the record now. And, yeah. I mean, did you make a I, – like, I know you said you wanted to kind of pick up where the band left off back then. But, yeah. you know, it, it's so hard to kind of, like, recreate – you know that vibe from that from that time because that era is thirty years ago. It's gone. 
was it was it such a conscious effort to try to sound like that saint, or is is that just the way Saint would have sounded today anyway with this with this classic lineup? I don't know. <laughs> to be perfectly honest, I really don't know how to answer that question because what we did. Um, I mean, I, I listened to Caught in the Act in my car um, for weeks and weeks and weeks to get my head into that kind of mode of, of what I was doing back then, the kind of things that I was writing about, um, you know, and all that kind of thing. And the rest of the guys did exactly the same. Um, now, I dare say that if we'd written it the, the, the way that we sort of think now, it probably it may well have been a little different. I don't know, because I guess we'll find out if we do another one. Because the next one, if we do do another one, will probably be Satan now. Okay. Um, we just want. We were really keen to to sort of for the first album of getting back together. We were really keen to sort of follow on from where Caught in the Act left off. Um, whereas another one, if we do one, um, would be more um, more like what Satan is would be and is now. I guess. I think that's probably the best way to go with it, really. That makes complete sense. And I remember a few years ago, you and I spoke, and, and the band had gotten back together for one of the festivals over in Europe. Yeah. And it seemed like maybe that might have been it, that you guys would like maybe get together here and there to do some of these you know, shows. When did it come about where you said, hey, you know what, let's, let's do this, let's go at it, let's put out an album, let's you know, make it happen again? Yeah. I mean, it, it, was, it was always an, an idea that I'd, that I'd kind of had. I, I mean, you know, sort of, I, I always felt that I had unfinished business with Satan anyway. Um, because of the way that we broke up back in, in 83. Um, and I kind of thought, you know, it would be nice to get, get back together again at some point and, and, uh, and see if we can, you know, work, work through some, some ideas and, and write some new songs. Um, because although we sort of went our separate ways in 83, we, we've, we've remained friends throughout, throughout all that time. Um, and we didn't fall out or, or we didn't argue or fight or anything like that. It was just simply, and I know, I know it's an old cliche, but it was, it was realistically and really honestly was musical differences. Um, they wanted to um, sort of pursue a more American approach, and I wanted to stay hard and fast British metal. Um, they also wanted to change the name. I didn't. So we couldn't agree, so we decided that the best thing to do was just go off and do whatever we wanted to do. Um, and I, um, I went off and, and uh, produced the first Blitzkrieg album, and they, uh, and they went on and did what they did. Um, so, you know, we've always sort of, you know, been aware of what each other are doing. We've, we meet, we've met each other from time to time. We've remained good friends throughout the last 30 years, um, and we've always talked about doing it. And then, you know, we finally got the chance to, to play, at, uh, as you said, at one of the festivals in Europe. It was Wacken Festival. Um, and we enjoyed it so much, we thought, well, why don't we do this again? And I was kind of pre pressing the idea of trying to do an album um, to sort of, so we could come full circle with it. And everybody agreed. And it, it was just a matter of, you know, fitting it in with, um, with what I do with Blitzkrieg and... Um, you know, Steve with Skyclad, Graham with Skyclad, and so on. So it was just waiting for the opportunity to sort of actually make it a reality. 
and it finally happened, and, and I'm glad it did. I mean, you know, today with the internet, you know, over the last 10 years or so, it's very easy to, you know, to, to find bands that you, you were into back in the day and to keep track of everybody, and you get a gauge of, like, you know, how your band is doing and everything. Blitzkrieg has been your bread and butter for the majority of your musical career. Cool. So did it surprise you, like, when you got on the internet to realize just what a strong following Satan had? Because even though they had many lines, I mean, Ian Swift was in the band, Michael yeah. Jackson, nobody cared so much about the band as they did, you know, your version of it from the Court and the Act era. Did it surprise you, like, how much, you know, how popular the band really was just from that small little era with you in it? No, to be honest, it, it, because um, all of those Satan fans came with me, um, <laughs> you know, through and, and has followed me through Blitzkrieg. So, um, you know, a, a massive amount of Blitzkrieg fans are always saying to me when they meet me at, at, at concerts or, or at a festival or whatever, they're always saying, Will you ever do another Satan album? Will you ever get to, together with the guys and do you know do a, a tour of Satan with Satan or whatever? And I've said, of course, if, if the you know if, if we ever got the opportunity, we've all we've already spoken to each other about it, and yeah, we would love to do it. So it was it was always on the cards that it was going to happen, um, and it wasn't really that much of a surprise to me that that um, that, that, that fans still wanted it. What really surprised me. Um, was just how popular the band was back in 1983 without without us actually knowing it. That that was the surprising part. Yeah. Um, to discover that that uh, that little grain that we that we that we released in 1983 created such such a sort of a um, um, a, a, a thing that it did, and it, I, that that surprises me more than anything else. Not because it's a bad album, because it isn't. I'm very proud of Caught in the Act. Um, but it surprises me that we didn't, we weren't aware of it at the time. Maybe if we had been, we may not have took the course that we that we that we did. That's true. You know, it was a different time, a different era. I mean, it, it's a whole different ball game today. I mean, you can't compare the '80s till today. But how do you feel about you know the reaction that you have today with like new fans? Because there are so many younger people today mm. that have discovered our music from you know from back in the '70s and '80s. Yeah, it, it's fantastic, you know. I mean, we went through, I, I don't know about anybody else, but Blitzkrieg went through a period of about 15 years where we could not get a gig at all in England um, because they just didn't want to know about British metal at all. We had to go to um, to Europe, um, play across Germany and, uh, and, and, and Holland and, you know, all that stuff. We, we, Italy, you know, we, we pretty much covered Europe completely. We even came across and, and played a couple of gigs in in in, um, in Philadelphia in in in, uh, in the states. So, you know, we we were getting more more re more reception from the rest of the world than we were from our own, our own country. Um, and you know, it was it was a kind of it was a kind of thing that was like, well, there's no new bands coming up. It's going to die, you know. And I'm looking at it thinking, this can't be happening. This can't be true. And this, the strength of, of um, British metal in general in Europe um, kind of got things going again across Europe, and it was young bands were starting to sort of come through, and it was a great thing. Um, and then, of course, in England, there was like bands starting to to crop up, you know, like kids just playing, and it was great to see. And this is where the future of metal lies. It lies with young bands that are coming up. But I was really scared for a while because I thought it's going to die out. Nobody wants it anymore. 
in England, and it was really just, I think, the record companies kind of controlling um, the music industry, because you can't, you can't make as much money out of metal as you can out of other things, because they control everything sure. else. They tell, they tell the bands what to, what, you know, what to sing, how to sing it, how to play it, and, and so on. They write the songs for you and everything else. In metal, we, you write your own material. You write your own songs. Pretty much do, within reason, you pretty much do exactly what you want to do. Um, and I don't think the record company in general are, are, are happy with that situation. They're like a little bit more control than that. But I think it's, it's turned the corner now. And uh, glad to say there's, there's quite a lot of young bands coming through that uh, are actually worth listening to. And it, it, it's, it's refreshing. I, yo, um, that's so true. And like you're talking about the record industry, it's a different industry today. I mean, they've you know yeah. with the the downloading and everything everything else, they've kind of fallen on hard times. And a lot of you know, as a fan and as somebody that looks at it from the outside, I say in a way it's kind of good for the bands because they kind of have their own destiny in their hands now, and they control it. And with the technology today, you guys could put out your own records easier than you yeah. ever could. But maybe yeah. it's not so good for the bands because there was some kind of backing from the label if you were, you know, in yeah. their good graces anyway. I mean, you know, very few bands were, but... So, okay, how do you feel about that whole thing? Well, you're, you're right. I mean, it, it's great from the point of view that really you can look at it and say, who needs a record company? We can, we can go into a recording studio. In fact, we don't even need to do that because we, we all have recording studios on our, on our home computers. Yeah. Um, so... Apart from apart from sort of drums, which you you would need to you know re go and record somewhere else because your, your neighbours aren't going to be too happy with that. Um, you can pretty much record an entire entire album at home, and and um, and that's what um, pretty much Satan did. That's what Blitzkrieg have done. We compose all of the ideas and and put them on a home studio, give them to everybody in the band, and they kind of add their little bits to it and what have you, and then. We actually then still go into a, a recording studio uh, because we like that, you know. Yeah. Um, it kind of helps you to focus. Um, so we, we, we did that anyway and recorded it. But, yeah, we could have just put it out ourselves. Um, we could have done it um, on, you know, put out CDs ourselves to sell at gigs and, and so on, make it available through our website, do downloads and everything else that goes with it. Yeah, we could have done that. But... I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm a I'm a dinosaur in that respect. I still like the old record company thing, you know. Um, so um, we're still looking for that. And I, so yeah, it's great from one point of view, but it's not from another because it's kind of, in some ways, it's killed music to a degree because you, you you have a band that might think, well, why should I go into a recording studio and spend best part part of ten thousand dollars recording an album? that we can release, one person buys it, puts it on the net, and everybody else on the planet downloads it for nothing. Yeah. So we finish up getting absolutely nothing in royalties for an outlay of, of $10,000. So from that point of view, it's not so good. So, But the record companies have allowed this to happen in a, to a degree because in the early days of all of, da of, of, of the net and downloads and everything else, they should have embraced it and they should have took it on board but they didn't. They just allowed it to happen, and now they're complaining because a lot of record companies and stuff in in England are going bust. They're out yeah. of business. They can't con you know they can't compete, um, and it's their own doing to a degree. The, the film industry is exactly the same. Um, you can download a movie, 
um, rather than go out and buy it. And it, 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 it's, it's sad from that point of view because it takes away um, money from the creators of these things, whether you're writing a, a movie or writing a song. Um, it, it, it's taken away from those people to a degree. Um, maybe now things might change slightly and, and um, you know, you might, you might get money from downloads and, and what have you. But um, we've just got to watch this space, I guess. That's all you can do. I mean, it's, it's so true, like you're saying. You know, you you put all your your time, your effort, and most importantly, your money into recording an album. Not that you yep. get anything bad for it. It's not that anybody's going to become a millionaire overnight with this, but at least to recoup your money and make a little something because this is your bread and butter. This is your career. You it know, is. I don't get up to go to work in the morning and and say, hey, you don't have to pay me because someone else could do my job on a computer. I want to get paid. In <laughs> of the course end. you do. Exactly. And I, there's got to be a way around this, and there has to be a way that we can embrace the whole new technology um, and make it work for you. And, and I think, you know, to a degree, people are starting to come with that now and get get together with it. And I think the record companies at last have kind of uh, took it on board, and they, they, they're, um, they're trying to control um, the amount of things that you can download, not from a control point of view, I guess, but to try and make it so that to download it, you have to pay for it, which yeah. is the right and proper way to do things. Um, because you can't have... The, it would be a fantastic world if we could all have everything for nothing, but it doesn't work like that. <laughs> and as you say, um, you've just said yourself, um, you go to work, you don't want to go to work, put in a shift uh, of hours just to be told at the end of the day, sorry, mate, you're not going to get paid. Exactly. Because you've given it to somebody else instead. Yep. It doesn't... It's not good, and... It, there has to be a way around this, but it's not going to stop me making music because I love doing it. Well, that's good to know. I, I sometimes I think it's a generational thing because I mean, you know, you go back to our time. You know, we bought the we bought the vinyl records, and yep. then we used to put it on cassette so we could take it with us in our cars or put it into our, our portable radios. Yeah, and you know, we still bought the album. We we just put it on cassette. Then yeah. I would give the cassette to my friend and say, "Hey, you know, listen to this band. They're amazing." Then he would go out and buy the record. Then he just yeah. take the cassette and say, "Well, this is all I need. I got it for free." We bought it. Where like I think they, kids think they're entitled to everything yes. for free. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I, I I totally agree. Um, you know, I mean, you know, you, you, as you say, your friend would go out and buy a record, and he he would bring it home, and he would say, "Man, you got to listen to this. This is cool. You know, whatever it is." Um, and and you would listen to it, and you'd go, "That is good." And you would go out and buy it yourself. Yeah. Yes, you made a copy of it to put in your car, but you didn't give the copy to someone else. That's right. They, because you know, you let somebody else hear it, and they would go out and buy it, and so on. And this is what happened. Now. Somebody buys a CD, and then the next thing you know, yeah, they're making copies of it, and you can go and buy it and buy it in your local bar, um, or you know, in the case of downloads, you can just simply download it. Um, there was a lot of download sites um, that, that specialised in nothing but illegal music, you know, and it, it, it's it's a lot of them have been closed down, and and um, you know, people might say, ah, oh, it's a pig, you know, it's not it's not great. They've gone and closed all of these down. Well. Yeah, but that's the way it works. You know, if you want these things, if you want the bands to survive, if you want bands to go on in the future, continuing to make the music that you want to listen to, you've got to be prepared to pay for it. That's right. That's right. And I and I know earlier you told me that, you know, you're in the studio now, you're working on a new Blitzkrieg. It's been like yeah, yeah, yeah. six years since Theater of the Damned came out. And, yes, and, I, and what they have to say about Blitzkrieg, you guys have always held on to your roots of like what the band was when they started out, but yet you've yeah. never been afraid of, you know, changing up your sound and, and 
and being relevant and new. And I think yeah. Sims and Greed and Theater of the Dam are, are two, uh, two of the records that show that. Even though my favorite, i got to be honest with you, it kind of got a beaten back in the day to Mist of Avalon. But, I mean, I, I listen to the record today, and I love that album. And it, it just people just didn't warm up to it back when it came out. Well, yeah, I mean, the, the, the whole idea that I've had with Blitzkrieg since its inception um, was, a, was like a, what I call, I mean, everybody else calls it the new wave of British heavy metal. What I call it is true British metal. Um, you know, like Judas Priest, um, and and uh, and they they sort of not exactly created it, but they sort of made it their own. And uh, Blitzkrieg came along, and we we just wanted to be like that, you know. Um, so throughout the years, I, what I've tried to do is keep the initial flavour that was created all those years ago, and bring in little new ideas and embrace um, new technology. Um, the way that new, you know, new um, musicians, young musicians, and people that have come into the band and so on, th- their ideas, mixing them up with with classical, um, classic as in classic metal, not classic music. Yeah. Although that was a big influence, believe it or not, in Blitzkrieg originally, um, because we, we um, I, I personally do like classical music, and so did Jim Serrato, the guitar player. Um, so that was a, as actually a um, an influence in the music as the time as was um, Richie Blackmore, uh, Jimmy Page, and and, and uh, Judas Priest. That kind of got those kind of ideas were, were, were what made Blitzkrieg what it was. But throughout the years, we brought new ideas in, and uh, each new musicians brought a bit in and done that. But we've always kept a grain of what Blitzkrieg is about. And what we've done uh, for the new album, we kind of strayed. Uh, because of the influence of Guy, uh, Guy Laverick, on the last album, on Theatre of the Damned, he um, he did a lot of his studying uh, and guitar work in the Guitar Institute in, in America, um, in California. Uh, and he brought a lot of American flavor into Blitzkrieg, and we created a, um, a, a sort of a, a British-American album, if you like, and Theatre of the Damned, and it, it, fantastic album. But now I want to get back to, to, to what Blitzkrieg is good at um, and return right back to the British roots. Uh, and that's what we've done with this new album. Um, and uh, so far it's going very, very well. Um, and I think uh, a lot of people are, gonna, are probably going to see where we're coming from with it and they're going to they're go, this is, this is work and this is good. Uh, because I think it, it, it's not really a mistake that uh, young musicians are sort of now looking back to the early 80s to see what it exactly was that made the explosion of heavy metal back then, what made it work. That's what they're looking at. And Blitzkrieg are one of those bands that can still provide that, as did Satan on the on the new album. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you, between you know, Blitzkrieg and, and now Satan is going to start getting active again. And you also have Metalizer. I yeah. mean, you put that together a few years back. And I mean, yeah. was this like to just like try different things that you felt like you maybe couldn't do with Blitzkrieg and or now yeah, with Satan? But... Yeah, I mean, Metalizer um, is still very much alive, although I've put it on the back burner for the moment um, because I've, I've obviously had to concentrate on, on Satan and Blitzkrieg, which are the two most important things. Um, in my musical career, um, Metalizer is is a chance for me to go out and do things that I normally can't do in either Satan or Blitzkrieg. Um, and w- so, what I mean by that is that um, I get to do 
a lot of covers of of bands that I love. So I'll I'll, I'll do a bit of the Beatles and I'll do a bit of T Rex and I'll do a bit of Alice Cooper, um, and so it, it it's nice for me able to do that. Um, and we're also writing or were writing material for um, for an album as well, um, which we'll probably get round to doing sometime next year. Because I just, I just at this moment in time, I think I've got enough on my plate with Blitzkrieg yeah. and Satan without thinking about <laughs> anything else. Um, but uh, we, we will still be doing the Metalizer album. Um, we did a single last year for Christmas. We did, we we had a one nearly ready for Christmas, just gone. But then the Satan album happened, and I never got it finished. So I'll get that finished off for next year, um, and we'll put that out at the end of the year. Uh, did you, so there'll did, be a metalizer, another metalizer single out there. Well, that's good. Did you ever consider like just doing a completely like you know outright Brian Ross solo record, or is you know metalizer about you know the closest we're going to come to maybe well, get different stuff from you? Uh, metal at the moment, metalizer is probably the closest you're going to get to a Brian Ross solo album. Although, um, I mean, you may have heard this story before, and I swear it is absolutely true. Um, after Satan, um, what I wanted to do was um, get out there and, and basically put a new band together um, and, uh, and, and just basically sort of, you know, dip my toe in the water, if you like, and see where I wanted to go with it. And I thought I couldn't really do that until I'd laid the ghost of Blitzkrieg forever. So the, the, the idea in 1984 that I had was to get the album that Blitzkrieg had basically written in 1981 but never released, never, never even recorded it, get all of the songs and record the album that Blitzkrieg meant to, to do back in 1981, but never got done because we'd split up. So that, the whole idea was that it was going to be a Brian Ross album and the title of the album was going to be Blitzkrieg, A Time of Changes. But once I'd started working on it, uh, the music press got a hold of it and said, Blitzkrieg's back together, they're putting out a new album. Uh. <laughs> and we had such a great great sort of reaction to it, I thought, well, this has got clearly what the fans want. So we dropped the Brian Ross idea completely and we just put it out as a Blitzkrieg album. And I'm really pleased that we did now. So am I, it's given us all these years of it. But I thought after Satan, I remember Lone Wolf. Was that before Satan? I thought that was after Satan. Yeah, Lone Wolf was a band that I managed for a while. Um, I, w I went out um, for a night out somewhere. Um, in, in actual fact, um, the pub that I went to, or the bar, whatever, uh, whatever you, you, <laughs> you, you call them, I, I guess in the States you call them a bar, don't you? Uh, in England we call them a pub. And um, the, the pub is just kind of down the road from Neat Records. And I'd, I'd been in Neat Records um, talking about possibilities of what we were doing um, now that I wasn't in Satan anymore. Um, and uh, I, I just went down to this bar, and there was a band on, and I was watching them, and I was impressed. So I went up to them, and I had a word with them, and I said, look, guys, you know, you, you're really cool. I can, I, I'll do what I can to help you. Would you like to do a record? And I said, of course we'd like to do a record. Uh, and they were, long, they were called Long Wolf. So I, I arranged for them to go into the recording studio at Neat Records to record the, uh, the single. Um, and... Uh, Basically, to cut a very very long story short, the the singer just wasn't wasn't up to it really. So we fired him and tried to find a replacement, but we were we were kind of kind of hard with a uh, with a schedule. So I stepped in and did the vocals on it, uh, and that's how that came about. But um, they just kind of they had a they had 
great ideas, but they were they just weren't up to the idea of getting out there and, and um, um, promoting the way that you've got to if you're taking the music business seriously. And I think they were just kind of playing playing at it really. And although they loved the idea of having their own record, instead of sending sending copies to the magazines, the radio stations, they just gave all of the copies away to their friends. Oh. And I thought, I can't work with this. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought, no, sorry guys, but I'm I'm moving on. I'm gonna I'm gonna go on and do something else. Um, but that's what the lone wolf thing was. Oh, okay. Do you think Ian Swift joined the venture to spite you for joining Satan? Uh, no, I think. <laughs> I, th- I don't know. You'd have to ask him. I, <laughs> this, it, it kind of, it all came about um, in in a sort of a, a cloak and dagger sort of way, really. Yeah. Um, because uh, Satan had approached me to, to join them, and I turned them down because I was in Avenger. And uh, then basically what happened was Satan's manager got in touch with um, Mick Moore and said, oh, you know, no hard feelings, you know, about Brian joining us. And Mick said, what are you talking about? And he said, oh, sorry, hasn't Brian told you yet? So then Mick came round to my house, and, and but he was, hu- he, he was hugely annoyed. And he said, why didn't you tell us? I said, because it hasn't happened. Didn't believe me, so he fired me from Avenger. Huh. So the next thing I know is I'm picking up the telephone, talking to, to, to Satan and saying, is the offer still there? Of course it is, they said. So I went along and I joined them. Um, and uh, Ian, Ian Swift was well, aware of the vacancy in Avengers, so he just went for it, as far as I'm aware. So yeah. um, that it, it's kind of, you know, it was a bit naughty, really, um, because it, it was one of those situations. But I'm awfully glad that they did do that now, looking back on it. Oh, sure. At the time, you know, you, you feel differently than you do 30 years later, but it's in a, it's all good in the end because we get great music from everybody, you yes. know, all around. And, Ryan, I'm not going to keep you much longer, but I know that Satan is going to be coming to Canada uh, yes, this summer for a festival. I yes. hope somehow, somewhere, you guys can manage to make it into America at that time, or at least get back down there because we've never seen you here. And it would be <laughs> great to have you come back even with Blitz Creek, too. I know it's easier yes. said than done you know, with money and traveling, and it's it's, yes, it's very hard, but I'm going to have to go up to Canada, I guess, for a couple of days and see you guys during the summertime, because I don't know if you're going to make it to the U.S. That would be fantastic. I'd, but, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm re- really looking forward to that. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, we would, we would dearly love to come to the States, um, but really it's down to someone, some promoter, um, putting together a tour and inviting us to come over. Then, you know, we would take it from there. Uh, that would go for Blitzkrieg as well, of course. Um, it, it's exactly the same thing, really. We can't just sort of turn up and say, here we are, we want to do some gigs. It, it's, you know, it would be nice if it would happen that way, but it doesn't. So, I know. Um, you know, if there's any promoters out there, want Satan or Blitzkrieg, get, tell them to get in touch with us because we'll, we would love to do it. I hope so. Hey, Brian, listen, the best of luck. You know, Satan Life Center is coming out real soon. Yeah. Everybody's got to buy this record, and hopefully this year, maybe next, we'll have a brand new Blitzkrieg too. So <laughs> please come back on when the album comes out, and we're going to promote the hell out of it like always to help you guys out. Of course. Fantastic. All right, Brian, thank you very much, Brian. I appreciate you talking to us today. Cheers, mate. No problem. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
All right, Brian Ross, I hope everybody can hear that because we are having a lot of trouble here today at Blog Talk Radio. And I have some brand new state music I was going to get on, but because I don't know if it's going to go out or not, we're going to save it for next week because next week we have Satan Steve Ramsey calling in. So we'll save it for next week, the new music, and the album should be coming out, I think, a few days after that. But like Brian was saying, he was in Avenger early on before Satan. Let's get on something off that single, his On the Rocks. Avenger on the rocks. And like I says, even says everything is coming through okay. So uh, 
Hopefully you guys are hearing everything out there. I just have no control over the switchboard tonight, so we're kind of just clicking around until something shows up, and, and we're winging it and doing the best we can. But at least the interview with Brian Ross came through, and uh, like I said, I spoke to Keith uh, from Salsa last week, and he's a great guy. We could have went on with that interview for hours. Unfortunately, I had another interview lined up like a half hour after we started talking, but uh, it's, I have it on tape, and we're going to get that on in about a half hour or so. But right now, let me reach out to Tommy. I'll try to connect him on Skype. And uh, we'll talk for a little bit, get some music on. Well, that didn't work, so <laughs> let's try that one more time here. All right. Let's get Tommy's number up in here, and uh, and we'll give him a call, see if that works. All right. Add the call. Nah, that doesn't seem to be working either. Nothing here. Nothing is working here today, huh? I tell you, boy, when things go wrong, they go wrong. Let's try and see if we can connect Tommy this way. There we go. That should work. There we go. All right. We're cooking with fire now. Hello. What's going on there? Hey, <laughs> you doing, bro? Ah, uh, man. You know, yesterday, uh, some somebody hacked into Block Talk Radio's, you know, wow. servers. Wow. And they messed up everything. Nobody could log on. I, I was lucky to even be able to get on. I hear all the other hosts. Nobody was able to get on and do a show since, like, very few people. Wow. The switchboards aren't working. You can't dial in. You can't dial out. So, uh... But uh, it seems like, you know, we have to, you know, with the switchboard, I'm kind of just like, you know, clicking around on a screen, which is blank, and uh, hoping a song lands <laughs> that will say what it is after we play it, you know? Oh, that's good. Okay. But you called in, I can see your number, but I can't connect you. There's no controls to connect you. So uh, I got you on Skype. That's good enough. That's cool. That's right. Good. Yeah, so you know what? When you have lemons, you got to make lemonade, and that's what we're doing today. There you go. All right, well, Brian Ross is a great guy. I was glad that... We were at least able to get through to him and get that on. The other one is pre-recorded, so we shouldn't have any trouble uh, getting that one up over there. But I've, I've been trying to get the new Satan record from the record company. They just haven't given it to me for some reason. I haven't even responded, I, which I can't figure out because I, I see dozens of copies out there for reviews. I asked Brian for because I don't even have it. So I was like, okay. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I'll get that from Steve uh, next week. Steve Ramsey from Satan will be our guest next Sunday night. We've got Steve calling in live also. So we'll get that from him during the week, and uh, we'll get some of those tunes on next week. That way we can hear some of the new music off that record. And I tell you, they really did recreate that sound from back in the day. This sounds like it should have been followed up a year after that record came out. I know, I know. Absolutely incredible. I love those guys. Big fan of Satan. Definitely. Uh, well, you know, I, I sent you a link to that Black Sabbath song. It was a demo version of it. Witchcraft, yeah. I think it was. I actually liked it. Yeah. Um, I wasn't crazy about the drums because, you know, it was kind of, you know, I know. I know. Yeah, you know, keeping a beat, but uh, the riff was good. I liked the way it was recorded in a way, you know. But uh, production-wise, uh, the new song "God Is Dead," it's kind of God. You know, God is it God is dead with a yeah. question mark. So God is dead. So I guess God is dead. Say it like that. Yeah. But um, it's not a bad song. It's kind of sl- it's kind of long, you yeah. know. Um. Towards the end, it peps up a little bit. The riff changes, and it peps up a little bit. I think they should have done that, you know, a little early in the song. But that's just me. And Ozzy's voice just sounds like uh, like the way he sings with nowadays. Ozzy. I mean, yeah. you know, with, with with his solo stuff. Yeah. I would have thought, you know, his phrasing, like on that song Witchcraft, his phrasing and the way he's singing is old school. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, yeah. I mean, if you told me that was a recording from, you know, their last session together, I would have believed it. 
you know, maybe it was. Maybe these are some leftover riffs from back in the day. Yeah. You know, because the music from when Ozzy was singing to when Ronnie came into the band were like night and day, you know, uh, True. sound was. And maybe they were some older tunes. And, you know, I heard somebody say that some of these riffs were stuff that was uh, meant for the next Heaven and Hell record also. I so it, it could have been that too. You could hear, you can hear, you can hear D.O.B. You know, singing that song "God Is Dead" without a part, without. Oh a, yeah. And then there's, uh, I don't know if you saw the live track. Uh, I saw it on Blabbermouth, the live track for "End of the Beginning." A song called. No, the I didn't of, see that one. I didn't. End I didn't, of the I didn't have a chance to see that. It's sort of like um, they kind of ripped themselves off. You know, the song "Black Sabbath," how it okay. starts off with like a slow riff. Yeah. And then it pops up a little bit. It's not bad. I mean, you know, hey, it's Black Sabbath. They can rip themselves off. I know. You know? But, okay. I mean, you know, that's what ACDC does, you know. <laughs> sure, they you know? No, you're they, right. made, they made a career out of it. No, oh. season. I I'm love them. No, you're right, but you're 100% yeah. right. But I'm going to yeah. have to check that out. And yeah. I'm just hoping that Ozzy was, like, high, because I know he's been getting high again. At least he, he yeah, that's what he said. He said he, he started doing some drinking and all about some, some two years. Ago. Hopefully, this is all recorded when he was drunk and high. Because I think that's when he does his best work. So I think I read somewhere that he's a month and a half sober. So yeah, it's possible he was drinking during the recording because it's been going you know, on a while. Yeah, yeah, they've been recording a while, right? Yeah, it's been yeah. So I'm hoping that at least maybe that's why it's got a little bit of that old school vibe through because he got yeah. it out of his mind. But yeah, you never know who you know. You got. But I, I love the bass sound, man. The bass. Is so heavy and and up front, it it really did impress me that you know. Yeah. I wasn't expecting much with Rick Rubin behind there. And the guy's guy's amazing at what he does, and he's put out some great records like yeah, with the rappers. But and all that. A lot of the metal stuff, it just didn't hit. You know, with a lot of the metal stuff he's worked on, like with Trouble and yeah. some of the player stuff, and even the Metallica. Mm -hmm. It's it just you know, it's it just it's just missing that big sound. But I think he kind of got it on on this record. Yeah. I mean, you have to with Sab, you got to have that big bassy deep. You know, sound with with Sabbath. Yeah, I think he got it, so that's good. I mean, but I mean, that guy he, Rick Rubin, I saw him in some clip where he was hanging out with the band and they were rehearsing. He had like a day bed set up, and he was laying around in like sweatpants. Yeah, and like these big soft pillows, and he just grabbed the microphone. I'll try that again this way, <laughs> you know. I'm like. What kind of fucking balls do you have to sit on a fucking daybed laying back telling the masters of fucking metal what to do? But I guess they needed somebody like that to, you know. That's true. You know. Hey, look, he's Rick Rubin, man. Guy started Def Jam Records with Russell Simmons. Yeah. Oh, he's got to know something. He's loaded up the ass, and he's produced a lot of bands and worked well, on a lot. As they didn't get Bob Rock, you know. <laughs> <laughs> You know what's funny is I'm just going to do a metal matinee called like The Killer of Giants. Yeah, oh, that's cool. And I was going to feature like Bob Rock with all the bands like, even though, you know, it's funny because, you they know, the became popular, it's just that they exactly. killed the sound. He's worked on with his fans, but like the biggest bands those bands have put out, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The only fans like us, he killed them, you know? It yeah. killed them. So it was like, I was going to do him, I was going to do Mutt Lang, who like, feel, like killed Def Leppard and AC. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They are. So I just needed like a few more uh, people and a few more uh, uh, songs to put together. I'm gonna get that one up and going. That's funny. That's yeah, funny. so the killer of giants, oh, like giants. That's great. Yeah. Maybe we'll do like Rick Rubin too, even though he really hasn't killed any of them. They've already dead most of his bands when he worked with them. But <laughs> so, uh, we'll, 
Well, we'll find other. There's other producers out there. You just have to find which ones, you know. You can, you can that, do um, Rick Rubin and John Cash, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you a lot of country people didn't bother buying that record. Uh, you probably figure, who the hell is this yeah. Rick Rubin? Yeah. That Jew from New York. <laughs> but just worked on these albums to say, like, I worked with Johnny Cash. I worked with, you know. Yeah, these, yeah. Because there's no other reason for it. Even though he is he is a fan of metal, you know, I mean people oh, forget even though he yeah. was, came up with the rap world. You right. know, those guys were mixing heavy metal, hard rock with rap back before anybody else ever was on the artists that yeah. on DMC, you know, all those bands yeah, back in the day. But you know what? I gotta get a cup of water because my mouth is bone dry. <clears throat> Let's get on a couple of tunes here if it goes through. Okay. And then uh, Kenny's got us our weekly concert count update, and then we'll get uh, the interview with Keith on from Silence. So uh, let me see what I got here lined up. Uh, I have Hawaii. I have Heart Attack. I have Ludacrist. Anybody in particular you want to hear first? Yeah, go for it, whatever you feel like. All right, we'll get on some Ludacrist. This is off the Power Trip record. Damage right, done. Cool.
All right, right before I, I got Brian Ross on the phone, I started playing our demolition segment artist, which was the band Cronus. Uh, and I had to cut the song off because I didn't want to lose Brian. We're having, we're having a lot of trouble here tonight with the internet and the connection. So uh, I get up back on for everybody right now. And if you head over to the blog spot, you can download yourself a copy of that demo tape. And that song is called SFV Die Tonight. I got to find out what SFV means, Tay. Oh, okay. Sick fucking, I don't know. SFV? Yeah. Fucking virgin? That could be. I have to look it up and see later on. Maybe there's some uh, thing for that. But like I said, head to the blog spot. Download yourself a copy of that tape. All right. We've got an interview coming up with Keith from Soundstone in a little bit. Kenny's got the concert calendar update. You know, T, last week I uh, went to go see Udo in the city. Right. But kind of got shut out. Uh, they got the names mixed up on the list and I couldn't get in. So uh, I wound up having to hear most of it from the lobby. And a lot of people were upset. Because they felt he didn't do enough accept uh, tunes in the set. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, they said the last time he was here, but that was 12 years ago. And he didn't have half as many records out back then as he did now. Yeah. You know, right, you know right. the audio, the solo, you know, his band's right. They didn't have as many out. So I know he did Balls to the Wall, Fast as a Shark, and I think Screaming for a Love Bite, which was kind of a weird pick in my opinion, with all the yeah. other tunes that the band has. Yeah, yeah. And I, I don't remember. I want to say Metal Heart. Maybe I don't remember what the what the other song he did was uh, mm-hmm. on the bill. But I mean, what do you think? I mean, you know, you want to hear those classic accept tunes without a doubt. But he also can't come out and do fifteen, you know, yeah. vintage accept songs when he has like you know fifteen solo right. I I keep saying solo, fifteen audio records. You know, you can't. Yeah. There's just no way of making everybody happy. People should yeah. be like, well, you know what? We have accept playing again also right now, so yeah, we'll get to hear those tunes with accept. Right, 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 right. You know, Mark does a great job in, in the band. I mean, he, he does the Udo stuff phenomenal. I mean, Udo, uh, Udo even gives him, uh, you know, a heads up, a hand, yeah. heads up, a thumbs up. Yeah, he gave him a little backhanded compliment yeah. last week. But, you know, what do you expect? Things like that happen. Oh, yeah. I mean, like I said, how much can you do? You know, I mean, how many songs yeah. can he do? It's great that he, I don't, you know, people have said the new Princess of the Dawn. But you know what? That's like an eight-minute song. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's kind of monotonous. Yeah, so it's like an eight-minute tune where he can get two of his more original songs in. Oh. And, and I agree with people. They, they they had, like, I think, back-to-back guitar solos. And oh. I'm sure there was a drum solo in there. And I, I think today, you know, back in the 80s, you know, every show had a guitar the solo. Europeans, the Europeans still like that shit. Yeah, Kiss does still it still. Like Kiss has the guitar solo, oh, the bass sure. solo. But, you know, I would rather hear a couple of more tunes today than, than oh, to hear the oh. solos because... With Kiss, you get the same bass solo and guitar solo you've been getting for 30 years. It's not like they even change them up. You know? It really, come on. Gene Simmons is the same thing. Yeah. The one no bass solo. And one of what's funny is that I spoke with Richie Wise yesterday. We're going to get that interview on uh, oh. next week uh, from the band Dust. Sure. From Bat- and Richie was also a producer who produced the first two Kiss records. Exactly. And uh, he's worked with uh, countless other bands. I mean, like from Gladys Knight and the Pips to uh, John Cass and the Beaver Brown Band to wow. a lot of other rock bands. And uh, those early Dust records, there were two records that came out, I think, in 69 and 70 or 70 71. Yeah. They were considered, you know, like the forerunners of heavy metal dust. People have forgotten about them. Well, from what I understand, I, don't know, I heard it today, the other day, not today, uh, this week, on Sirius, one of the, um, what do you call it, uh, the VJs or whatever, the DJs, yeah. mentioned that somebody wrote a review for the Dust album Yeah. and said it sounds like heavy metal, and it's the first time it was ever in print. I don't know if that's hmm. true. 
I always heard that it guys, came from Steppenwolf, Heavy Metal Thunder from the, the song. That's on the true, Blue too. That's true, too, right. That, that That's actually in the song. Yeah. But this guy supposedly penned it as a description oh, of okay. the music. But then again, this same guy, I even sent a, a, um, a message to him. Who's, who's the fellow was in um, um, Overkill, the first guitar, but Bobby... Bobby Gustafsson. Gustafsson, I can't wait but he goes, Bobby Gustafsson passed away during the Horoscope tour, and Overkill had to replace him with two guitar players. <laughs> so I sent him a message on Facebook. I said, I heard you passed away. Yeah, he didn't <laughs> know, he... know he's still alive because he's, you know, he's one of one of my contacts. Yeah, well, know? Bobby Bobby came from out here in Staten Island. Uh, he lives right. in Florida these days. He really right. hasn't been too active with the music thing, but yeah, he was doing some solo stuff. Yeah. Matter of fact, he sent uh, a couple of um, things into the Howard Stern show. Okay. Uh, like parodies, heavy metal yeah. parodies, and he ended up playing one of his. Uh, It'd be great to have him active again. But uh, you know, yeah. get back to, to Richie. Even I'm though sorry, it yeah. does, no, it's okay. Even though it does, you know, um, Blue Chair were around a few years before Dust, and really they are considered the first American heavy metal band. Right. But when you hear the Dust music, I mean, you'll hear Procol Harum in there. You'll hear a lot yeah. of Cream. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the era. That was the time. Yeah, but when yeah, you hear a song like bass. Suicide, the, the riff, the heavy riff, the bass I solo, I, I mean, you're like, this was very a, much, Very much like Motorhead. Exactly. And I'm like, these are three guys from Brooklyn, from our neighborhood in Brooklyn, you know? And Marky Ramone. Marky uh, Ramone. He was Mark Bell, Mark Bell back then. He was Marky Mark. Ramone now. But Bell, I got that interview on tape. Um, you know what? I was going to get it on next week, but uh, I'm probably going to take Mother's Day off because, you know, I'm going to celebrate with my wife and my family. Sure, sure. So I think I'm going to do a pre-recorded show like we did for Easter, and I'll get oh, those interviews on that time. So people have to wait a little while. But, you know, they've been waiting 40 years to get the album out, so they can wait another couple yeah. of years. <laughs> Big deal. But, I mean, right from Brooklyn, and there was also a Brooklyn Queens. There was also a band called Sir Lord Baltimore, That's another right. heavy band, right, yep. from Brooklyn. That's right. You we know. had a whole bunch of great bands going on a day, like Tempest, even though that was a few decades later. That was a few decades later, but, yeah. had but we didn't really break any ground. We just kept it going. You well, know. you broke balls. That's good enough. We broke balls. Yeah, we didn't break, hey, we don't break ground. We break balls. That's, That's good. Right. I like that one. Well, listen, I got a caller calling in, uh, area code 479. If you're listening, I apologize. I cannot connect you. Uh, the switchboard is not working here on Block Talk Radio today. I can see the numbers, but I just can't actually connect anybody. So I do apologize if you are listening as as you're calling in. If not, it just might be a prank phone call, which we get a lot of here. Or it might be another host saying, how the hell did you get your show going today? Because <laughs> someone else has been able to do that. But you know what? Let's get the guy we wait for every week at 7 o'clock to give us our concert count update for the week. We'll find out what's going on in the New York City area. Mr. Ken Pierce from piercingmetal.com. Whoa! Hello there, Mikey. Oh my God, I'm sorry. You see, this is this is what happens uh, to to one's voice when you are screaming and yelling for the likes of Anthrax and uh, and Exodus and High on Fire and Municipal oh, Waste man. and Holy Grail at uh, the madness that they called the Metal Alliance. And uh, hey, you know, before I get into the uh, the what for of what's coming up in this uh, this coming week, let's just talk about two important. Uh, show listing changes. Now, I know, Mike, I know you were looking very forward to the return of Paul Deano, uh in June over at BB King Blues Club, but uh, it appears to be the case that Paul has canceled his U.S. tour again. Now, this 
is a second cancellation in the same year of Paul's tour. So who knows uh, what's going on with that and uh, where he's going to play the next time. I would not be willing to bet money that the that the show will be at BB King's this time the next time around. So if you got tickets for that, I would get your money back or trade them for something else. And when Paul comes back, then worry about getting a ticket uh, at that time because uh, he does not normally sell out the show uh, at. At least at BB King's, he hasn't done that. So there you go with that one. Also, uh, we've been talking a lot about Black Sabbath's reunion tour, and uh, the tickets are on sale now. And man, they are pricey. I am going to start having to whore myself out to get the money for that. And I know you're laughing, Mike, and saying, What do you mean, start, Ken, right? So, uh, yeah, these are some pricey tickets, but. Uh, you definitely want to go get uh, get a ticket to see Sabbath. There's not a lot of dates on the tour so far, and I don't know if there are a lot of dates being planned for schedule anyway. That being said, let's get to the exciting stuff for this week. Uh, it's already taking place down at Irving Plaza tonight. It's the second night of the Metal Alliance with Anthrax Exodus Municipal Waste, High on Fire, and Holy Grail. Wow, what a show that was last night. Cannot cannot fucking de- de- uh, just just formulate words for it yet other than wowza. Uh, Anthrax, as you know, is doing their complete um, Among the Living album uh, during this whole thing. So this is uh, this is pretty, pretty freaking cool. So anyway, that's going on over at Irving Plaza already. Also, in progress, and another show that uh, I'm excited to talk about because that's where I am right now. It's the Pagan Fest USA. It is the, it is the go-round of Pagan Fest. And it's got Enciferum playing with Turi as a direct support, and also Heidevolk, Trollfest, and Hellsot. Wow, this is like get your Viking hammers out and rock and roll with us. So that's going on uh, as we speak. I'm in a very, very secluded location with no noise, which is nice because I'm making enough noise. On to Monday, you got Orange Goblin down at St. Vitus Bar with the uh, Ken Mode. ASG, and many more. And remember, it's St. Vitus Bar. It is a 21-and-over event. Steel Panther hits it hard to Irving Plaza on Tuesday and brings their unique blend of glam, metal, and hair metal to the public. Don't miss out on those boys if you like what they do. Wednesday night, you got All Time Low and Pierce the Veil over at the Best Buy Theater. Those guys are doing a co-headlining tour. Be sure to check them out. A little bit mellower, but rock and roll just the same. Fleetwood Mac at Prudential Center. Gotta love those rumors, cats. I love that stuff still after all these years. But I will be over at the Irving Plaza for the Death to All show, and that is members of the legendary band Death bringing the music of Chuck Schuldiner to life once more. As you know, we lost Chuck uh, a number of years ago to uh, cancer, and they are living his memory uh, out and all of the proceeds, or actually, sorry, a portion of the proceeds go to the Sweet Relief Charity. So that's a good night. On um, Thursday, you got Pierce the Veil at all time low. The guys are switching up the order of performance for their second show at the Best Buy Theater on Thursday. And uh, I think that one might be sold out, so you just got to look around or beg and see if any other tickets were released. On Friday, you got Sticks over at the Izod Center with Ario Speedwagon and Ted Nugent. Wow, that's classic rock to the max, man. I am, 
I'm wishing I could be at that one. But I will be at the Best Buy Theater for Stephen Wilson doing his solo tour when he is going to bring to life the Raven That Refused to Sing album. So anyway, listen, it's all I got to talk tonight because I'm still hoarse from uh, from last night's pagan, um, last night's Metal Alliance. I'm getting confused now. Uh, I guess I won't be able to say a word on Monday. So uh, to some, that's a great thing, right, Mike? So anyway, remember, as always, you can find Piercing Metal on Facebook. Come down, give our page a like. Follow us on Twitter or find our Instagram. We would love for you to be a part of the action. I'll talk to you next week, guys. Bye. All right, Kenny, take care. Go get some rest. Rest up that voice. He's always out there at those concerts, Kenny, you know? Like that. Yeah, he's like you know, he's like the postman, you know, oh. rain, snow, snow that keeps him away from going to a show. Yeah, I mean Raven is playing right here in Brooklyn. That's right. Tonight Raven is at the St. Vitus Bar. But well, I gotta get up fucking early. I don't know, man. Yeah, we got the show too. By the time we get out of here and get over there, you know, it's even though it's not that far from us, it's still a, a little bit of a hike, you know. Yeah, and then who knows? I mean, we've got another band. I don't know what time Raven's gonna get on. Well, we're going to see Raven in about two weeks anyway out in right. New Jersey. That's going to be a great show. So we'll be out there. We'll catch Raven that night with Anvil, The Rods, Lords yeah. of Mercy, T.T. Quick was his sister. It's going to be a well, great show. Lords Anvil. Lords of Mercy, I heard something, you know, I went and searched them out. I never heard of it. I don't remember them. Were nah, they they're a relatively new band. No, they're oh, new. okay. I mean, they've been around a couple yeah, of years. They're not bad. They have a good old sound. Yeah. They've been around a couple of years. They're not like, you know, they just started yesterday, but they're not from the 80s, you know? Yeah, they're not young guys. I mean, no, some not of the guys are younger, but some of the guys could be old enough to be from the old. That's why I feel I'm sure they had bands that. back in the day they were in, but this band right, is relatively, right. you know, from, from it's now. the newest band. Yeah. Exactly. That's going to be a great show. But listen, we got to get this interview with Keith on. We have another call. We never, we never get this many calls when the phones actually work, you know? It's funny that people keep calling us. So I was calling from 661. I apologize. We can't take any calls tonight. The switchboard is down. We're just kind of winging it. Hope we can get through here and get this over with tonight before we just completely crash. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'm gonna get on a. Let me see what I got. I know what I'm gonna get on a band called Harder Attack. Uh, we're gonna get a, a tune off that record. I'm gonna go into a Silencer tune, and then an interview with Keith, and then we're gonna close out the show with another song by Silencer. Hopefully after the interview is over, I'll be able to come back on. I'm just hoping to get through it before this whole thing crashes. You know, we're almost at the end right now, so. We want to get everything going, but uh, they got a great record out of sounds called The Great Bear. They've put out a whole bunch of tremendous records over the year, but this is a concept record, and I put this album up there with Queensryche. I mean, these are a relatively new school band, but they got old school ideas and mentality, you know, and this is like, I put this up there with Queensryche as far as concepts go, you know, and the way they execute it, because the songs can all stand alone by themselves, yet... You know, when you play the album from start to finish, they all fit into this beautiful... It's based on, like, it's a fictionalized story about the Russian space race with us in the, you know, the U.S. back in the 60s. Right. The guys did a great job in the sound, so... Like I said, they're going to get on Heart Attack. Right after that, I'm going to get so-called I Am Thunder by Silence. I'm going to go right into that interview with Keith, who I also want to congratulate because him and his wife just had a, a baby. So, the best of luck with that, guys, and uh, we'll get that interview going for you right now. Okay, so here you go, Heart Attack.
Oh man, sounds. I am stunned. I love that shit. That's such a great record. I spoke with Keith Spargo recently from Sounds, so we're going to get that on in two minutes. But before then, I just want to let everybody know our sponsor, rockandrolletc.com. It's got patches to give away this week, so anybody looking for a patch, just email me after the show and I'll get them out to you. Well, I'll have Rock and Roll, etc. get them out to you. I believe this week it's Warrant, and it's not the German band Warrant. <laughs> it's probably the hair metal band. So I know, you know, we don't have a lot of listeners for that here, but. Once you get it, I'll have you on the list, and every couple of weeks you'll wind up getting posters and patches and other great vintage rock and roll memorabilia from the 80s from rockandrolletc.com. Also, we're going to be working with a new label to help, not a new label, but a new label for us to help promote their artists. It's called Inferno Records. They've got some great bands on there, uh, just to name a few, Razor Wire and Primeval. We had Primeval on the show not long ago. Uh, we're going to be featuring some of the music next week. I'm glad I didn't do it this week because I have so many problems on here. I don't even know if this is going through or not anymore, but... Check out Inferno Records, support these labels because they're giving us all this great music and they're helping these bands put out records and getting them some notoriety. So it's very important that we support all these independent labels. But right now, like I said, here's an interview I just recently did with Keith. Hey, Keith, how are you? This is Mike. Mike, how are you, man? I'm doing great, man. It's a pleasure to talk to you today. Thanks for having me, man. Uh, anytime, anytime. You know, I, I've been following you guys going back to, you know, almost the beginning with uh, with your first demo tape, so I'm glad that you you know it's almost 15 years or just about 15 years, so I'm glad you guys are still going at it. Holy smokes, I'm I'm very impressed, man. We don't talk about that demo tape very often. Not but, uh, time of chiropractic. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Wow, that's that's bringing back some memories here. You you definitely win some points here. Ah, <laughs> oh, that's good. Yeah, well, you know, it, back in the 90s, it was hard to find good metal anywhere. I mean, there wasn't much happening going on, and when that came out. I mean, I, I really dug it. I could see that there was a big future for the band after that tape. And, you know, 15 years later, you guys are still cranking out albums and playing live. So, I mean, something good came out of it. It's a different sounding band than, you know, the band of that demo tape, but it's it's still Silencer. It is, and it's interesting. Like, that demo tape, when the band was first put together, I guess my original envisionment of what the sound would be had kind of a, an early new wave of British heavy metal feel to it. Um, you know, late 70s, early 80s metal influences, and we wanted to, you know, take it pretty conceptual lyrically. And as the sound morphed through the years, it got, you know, pretty extreme with the previous two albums. But ironically, I think it's come a bit full circle. Um, I wish we could have sounded back then like the Great Bear does now. It's uh, not that far removed as far as direct influences. go out better at our instruments, of course, and, and have, have, having done it a few times before. But... Um, yeah, it's, it's been it's been an interesting evolution, and it's like everything. A lot of things come full circle. It's been really fun. It does, and you know, you, you know, when you start out, you have you know, you're influenced by everything that came before you because that's what you've listened to or grew up with. Exactly. And as the years go by, I mean, you know, you hear new sounds, you have interest in, in different genres of music, different types of music, and you can see that influence coming out, you know, in, in Death of War and Divisions and Structures and and everything else that you did along the road. But the great bit, like you said, I think it caps off everything the band is about. I mean, it's just such a tremendous sounding record. And, you know, when you do like a concept album or conceptual album, you know, it can either go one of two ways. I mean, you either go, you know, the Queensryche way or like a lot of other bands, they fall by the wayside. And I, I think it really captures something here because it's sort of based on some real stuff that, you know, went on back in the day with the space, you know, uh, race between us and Russia. But you also kind of, you know, uh, added your own little take on and, you know, expanded on the story yourself with your own vision of it. A absolutely. We... We wanted to try to get to the point fairly quick for, for a couple reasons. Um, 
when, when when CDs came out as a preferred media, there was all of a sudden became a push to fill the entire CD with music, oh, and that's when the yeah. albums have been releasing fifteen track albums of seventy minutes of music. And I think that kind of that kind of comes at a cost. I think there's some filler there. Even some of my absolute favorite bands are guilty of it. And I I, I missed the day when a record had eight tracks. Everything was awesome. It was around thirty thirty five minutes, something like that. And guess what? You got an, you got another one the next year. So we tried to take the whole mentality and say, look. 2112 is a great example. Yeah. Um, that told a lot of story pretty quickly. And we went a little longer than that, of course, but um, it, it it was fun to try to do a concept for the first time and not take too big of a bite, um, you know, musically and just beat something to death. We wanted to be succinct, but we wanted to cover all the bases. I, I think we did a, a pretty good attempt at that. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, it's got to be difficult, you know, when you when you do an album like this because you basically have a story that you want to tell or follow. But yeah, you also have to make the songs like, you know, standalone because when you're playing live, unless you're going out there to do the entire Great Bear record start to finish, you know, you got to make those songs, you know, stand out in the room. People say, well, I don't get what happened in that song. Was there, a, a, you know, uh, another song before and one after? And I think you guys right. accomplished that. You know, that's a hard thing to well, do. Well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it is tough. We... When we when we mapped out the album, it was weird writing it in reverse. Usually, music would come first, and then we would write lyrics based on what we thought the song sounded like. This one was pretty different. We had our storyline up front, like you were describing our take on the end of the space race, and we had to map out everything story-wise first, and then write the music around the parts. And some obviously became standalone tracks, and some of them are it, it, when the spectrum of the full album are, are no less important they need to be there to, to connect the story but unless we were able to play the whole album start to finish live um, they're not necessarily live tracks so um you know a lot of my favorite concept records are very much like that operation mind crime is another you know there's definitely singles off that album that everybody knows but it's also fun to put the headphones on and just immerse front to back you know and you need some of those little setup pieces in between to properly do that and i, I think Oh, without a doubt. And you've got that on here. You've got a lot of segues in between the songs, you know, instrumentals and, and talking to sound effect parts and it lends to it. And you know what it is? When you have an album like this, any kind of concept record, I mean, they really, I mean, like you said, you can have your standalone songs, but you really got to play this thing start to finish because, and you got to put your head into it and it gets you into that mood. And, you know, you follow, it's like, it's like a, like a book on tape. You're following along with it with great music. Yeah, and exactly. I think, I think the only problem today with this is that a lot of kids today, they just want to buy that one song for 99 cents. They don't sit down and listen to the record. Like, you know, you got a Judas Priest record back in the day, and you played that thing from the first song to the last song. You loved every song no matter what. Even though some of them might have been shitty, you still loved it because you you played it through, and that's what you have to do with the great band. Go from track one to track 11. I I, 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 mean, I really appreciate hearing that people talk like that. It's maybe generational. Um the digital, it's kind of going back to what it was like before the full length was was a standard. You know, people released singles. They released seven inches back in the 50s and whatnot. When an album came along, it kind of changed everything. And that was the era that I grew up in. And that's still how we write music. It's still how I listen to music. I never listen to single songs. I put in an album and I listen to the album as a unit. Because even if it's not a concert record, which obviously the vast majority of records are not, there's still a feeling captured and a vibe captured across an entire record that you would never get just by listening to, you know, the, the singles collection and the, your iPod on shuffle. I just think it's more rewarding as a listener. I mean, I'm a, I'm a bigger metal fan than I am a musician, quite honestly. I like to listen to albums. So that's what comes out in our writing. And I know the other guys in the band are the same way. That comes out in our writing. We write an entire unit. We hope enough kids will take the next step to 
listen to the rest of the album and you know maybe maybe if they pick something like one of the segues by accident and go what the hell is this and <laughs> yeah they'll, they'll force them to kind of dive you know a song or two either direction and work their way out that's fine too but but that was also another conscious part of keeping the album a little shorter was attention spans as you know are getting so short and ever shorter and we thought let's uh let's get to the point and, and punch you know punch some faces in and um, we, can, we think we can hold people a little better that way. That's so true. Do you feel like when you write these days, I just, I just don't mean for the great day, but in general, that you write with that focus in mind that you know people might tune out after two minutes or three minutes, so I, I, and you maybe don't express yourself fully. I mean, I think you do on the albums, but do you ever feel that way where like maybe you have like a nine-minute song that you've been working on? You say, well, you know, maybe we shouldn't do this because people just you know won't give it the chance, and a great song could be lost that way too. It, you know, there, there, there's, there's pressure. There's lots of pressure. We, we're at the point now in, in the band's life cycle where we're comfortable writing what we want. It's, there, there isn't as much pressure to try to make some huge commercial splash, and we know we have our, our small diehard following and whatnot. Um, I, I, I'm remembering an older Iron Maiden album, The X Factor, and that's where I was the first one without Bruce. Yeah. And it was a big bite, and today, to this day, there are definitely tracks I really like on it, and there's a number that I don't really care for. Um, but I was just so impressed that they chose to open the album with a 10-minute song. They're like, you know what? Screw everybody. We make our own rules. We're not going to write singles or that. Let's start with the epic. And I thought that was such an awesome attitude. Granted, they had the clout to do it. But when we write, you know, if the song ends up a certain length, we're like, you know what? That's the story that needed to be told in that in that period of time, and it is what it is. We won't write more to make more or cut things. Like, ah, that, you know, it, it, it feels pretty natural. I, we've always kind of stuck to our guns to that. And when, when it's done, it's done, you know. That's important. I mean, you guys have never rushed to put out records. I mean, every three or four years, you know, you've had a record out. So there's no rushing with you guys. You, you don't just throw out a crappy product like you said with – 15 tracks, and maybe only five or six are real worthy of being on, and the rest of it's just fillers that you came up with, you know, during rehearsals, which a lot of bands do right. today, and I do agree with you, and I, I like the fact that you take your time putting out your records, and is that just because of the writing process, or, you know, this is a tough industry, you came oh. into it in the in the 90s when, I mean, metal was like, you know, on life support for most bands, the bigger bands are having trouble, younger bands were getting, a, yep. having a, you know, and, but yet you managed to make it through that, I mean, what was it like when you were starting out, trying to find an audience or, or find your way around because even the internet wasn't so big as it is now like you know for bands no. didn't have social media outlets then no and it was it was kind of after tape trading but before the internet was in full swing i mean you had email lists and that's about it but there's no social media websites were still you know a pretty big deal if you had a nice one right right on it it it, it, it worked out pretty well the precursor to, to me playing in silence was i played in a cover band for about a year and i was playing with a bunch of like-minded guys and we didn't play the typical fair that most of the clubs wanted us to play. You know, they want hard rock or whatever the girls would come out and dance to because then more drinks are bought and the club goes, you know, the club is happy and the band gets paid. Yeah. We were playing stuff like Testament covers and Slayer covers, and we'd, we'd mix a few of the harder rockers that we still thought had some balls to them. But we noticed that all of a sudden the boyfriends would be just sitting in the back and not dancing, you know, wearing their Anthrax T-shirt or whatever. All of a sudden their ears perked up, and old guys would come up front and headbang. And it was pretty funny to watch. I started thinking, you know, I'm pretty new to, to, to being in a band here, but look, there is still a market for this. And, you know, the, the airways were saturated with grunge and new metal. And it was hard in, in the local scene, but I think it, it, it built pretty quickly because people were, they were missing the real metal. They were missing the, the virtuosity. They were, they were mi missing the musicianship, the imagery, everything. And 
it needed a break. I won't lie. It got kind of blown out of out of proportion with the whole LA explosion. I'll say in the United States at least, but it needed that break. So what we found weren't, weren't huge numbers of people, but who came out to the shows initially were so hungry. It made for really energetic shows. And then the word spread and things picked up and, you know, as a progression, it might be pretty typical. So that's kind of what it was like in Denver, at least. Denver's not a big music town from an industry perspective, but there were definitely a lot of hungry metal fans here. It's a pretty big city. So it, uh, it, we, I think it just timed well. When, when did you start noticing the change, like in the scene itself in general, going from like the, the late '90s to like the last decade? I mean, it's it's picked up tremendously. You got a lot of younger kids that are, you know, finding the older music from the '80s and the passing on their newer bands to the old timers. You know, when did you start seeing it like come around? We say, hey, this is starting to you know look good again, and you know we might be able to make something of it. I want to say around 2000, 2001. We were a couple, three years old as a band, and. You know, we had some notoriety, and we, we, we promoted pretty hard around here, and we, and we immediately started getting in the van and, and playing other other cities and whatnot. But then, you know, the, the Internet had something to do with it. It was easier to spread the word, and, you know, a lot of metal magazines kind of gave way to metal fanzines online and that sort of thing, and it became easier to get your, your sound. Uh, and then the, the labels like Century Media and Nuclear Bat Blast and Relapse and these sorts of guys started – signing a lot of awesome bands i don't you know it's no it's nothing that people sit in the back room and coordinate and go all right here's the big push nevermore we want you and this and this. it's not like that like a football um you know chalkboard or anything like that it just kind of happened and we started noticing more and more people coming out to shows probably around 2001 2002 and before you knew it you know there there was i remember reading in the press that someone tried to coin the term new wave of american heavy metal you know, yeah play off the british thing you know lamb of god and these sorts of bands and you know, in our own way, we were some little tiny brick in that wall. But uh, it, it 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 was definitely early 2000s. Then it became pretty apparent when some of the heavyweights started gaining notoriety again and realizing, hey, you know what? Um, these, these are still the bands who put out put out the quality albums and put on the big shows and the big entertainment. Grunge was very minimalist. It was just a couple amps on stage and you know, no real costume, no real show business behind it from the real traditional point of view. Yeah. And it was a good reboot. I, I still contend that. But people missed the production. They missed the, the intensity and the full volume and the lights and the sweat and the mosh pit and all that. And we seemed to break. And it came back again around that early 2000 period. And we were kind of real, still kind of riding the wave for right now. It's pretty awesome. That's great. I mean, how, like, you know, is, is the scene in Colorado or in Denver particularly, you know, active enough to keep you busy? Because, I mean, you know, Jack Pans is from, from the area. Uh, right. They're getting back together. They're putting the line together again. And But, you know, Harris, look at Satan's Halls. You have Brutal Hands from out in, uh, in uh, Denver. you got a lot of great bands in the area, but is it active enough to keep you guys busy? Because I know touring is, is, is difficult for anybody today, especially trying to get around anywhere. You know, it's a, it's a money issue, but is there enough to keep you sustained where you are? There, there, there is a good amount, and I'm actually pretty proud of Denver. It, again, there's no industry like LA or New York, right? There's no music, there's no labels operating out of here or anything like that. But it has one of the larger music scenes of places we've played, definitely the largest, maybe outside of LA, metal scene. There are a ton of good bands here, and there's a lot of them signing. Um, it's been pretty steady through the years. And um, a lot of them are going further places, touring further in the United States, Europe, that sort of thing. So if, if, if you were a more of a hobbyist, you could definitely keep yourself busy in the Denver area. And then you have a couple other cities in, in close proximity, Fort Collins, Colorado Springs, and stuff like that. 
To get to major markets, though, you, you hit on something you just said, that it's difficult to tour. Denver seems probably good metal-wise because it's so geographically isolated. So there's a lot to do here because we've had to. To, to get to another major city, you're at least talking seven or eight hours. We're at, what, East Coast, you know, two hours, you're in another major city, three yeah. hours. Here, you got to get in the road. You're talking 500 miles, that sort of thing. So only the most diehard bands or the ones with the biggest aspirations will put a lot of time into traveling because it's not, it's not cheap. It takes a while to build your, your band up enough where, it's even, where you're not just straight up losing money going out on these, on these, on these tours. You know, weekenders, week-long, two-week, three-week, whatever. Um, we did them just because that was part of what attracted me to playing in a band was, you know, the travel, meeting new fans, playing in different cities, just seeing the country, that sort of thing. So you could you could self-sustain in Denver, but I'm I, I got my eyes set you know set farther generally. So the band has always believed in getting out on the road, and we do what we can to you know spread the word. Like I said, it's hard. There's no doubt about it. It's a big financial responsibility, and like even like to try to hook yourselves up with like a a national tour going through. You know the way things are today. They want you to pay to get yep. on the bill, pay to sell yep. tickets. It's it's. It seems like the cards are stacked against any band trying to rise above where they are, you know, in this industry. Do you find that to be the most difficult thing about the business is the actual business end of it? Oh, certainly. It's it's interesting, too. And the, the core reason of it I'm proud of, strangely enough, and I'll explain that real quick. If you went to a metal show, right, let's say a theater size show, maybe 1,000 kids, and you were on stage and you asked, hey, who here is in a band? You'd see like a third of the hands rise up. There's such a huge overlap of fans and bands. And in metal, because metal is always, you know, among other things, prided itself in strong musicianship, it's a difficult style to play compared to pop rock or acoustic stuff like that. I mean, there's definitely nuances to all those which can be tricky to do. But metal has always had musicianship in the forefront. There's a lot of good bands as a result of that. So you don't have a huge amount of money rushing into this genre, you know, from the general populace. It sustains, but it's not as big as it was in the 80s. It's good again, but it's not great. So you have a ton of bands, a ton of very good bands, going for just a handful of slots that could make any money. And now, you know, the big difference between now and 20 years ago is people don't buy records like they used to. So all the, all the, the pressure has moved to playing live shows to make any sort of money. So unless you're living in the van and or very big and command a good price for your ticket, you're not making any money off record sales. And even at our little level, our little low level, we've noticed a huge drop-off in how many CDs we used to sell. Shirts still sell like they always have, but record store sales are down, uh, CD sh- sales at shows are down, and that kind of thing. And it's just because the next generation of kids just don't buy them. You know, it's too easy to get it for free. Um, metal is probably, is probably lasted a little longer than a few other genres because we're still collectors and we still like to have that album artwork and, and all that. It's better, but it's not perfect. So you have to do it for the art. And if you do a good job of it and people recognize it, the bonus is that it may pay for itself or you may make a little money on top of it. But if you go in purely commercially, I think your fate feels like if you go into anything to make money other than just your job, you know. <laughs> No, you're right about that, and, and you know it's like you said, because you know the record industry bases the you know how well a band does just based on their album sales. They don't care if you're the most talented musicians in the world. They just want to know can you sell albums and make them money, and that's how yeah. it was always based years ago. But like you said, now people aren't buying today because they get it for free. But it's like you know you might have sold maybe 500 copies of the Great Bear, but 50,000 people have that record because you know the other 4,500 yeah. downloaded it. So you can't really judge how well an album even does today because no, there's no way exactly it. right. 
And that's a You're horrible exactly thing. right. Terrible. You and I, yeah, I'm making you hand the key. Yeah, yeah, sorry about that. And I, I think that's terrible because, you know, you put out a great product. And, you know, I want a new album by Soundstand. How am I going to get it if people don't buy it? I know you guys, you know, you do the digital. You have this. You even have the vinyl out for uh, the yes, album. And, and vinyl's like a niche market again where people are starting to buy it. And old-timers like myself will love it. And I don't mind paying twenty twenty five dollars for vinyl records, especially if it helps the band out because I'd rather hear it on vinyl. Man, can we clone a hundred a year or a thousand a year? <laughs> so awesome right. to hear. You're the only one that's good. Um, my, my wife's trying to get rid of the one she has. Oh, dude! Like I, I just there. Everyone else's loss is our gain. That's how I see it. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a vinyl collector now too. And man, how many garage sales and 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 used record shops? You're like, I can't believe someone's selling this for five dollars. That's genius. So yeah, I'll take it. And you know, vinyl's kind of making a small comeback. And it was just a format we hadn't done. And we thought, man, this, if there's an album that we've written that would just fit that format perfectly, it's this one. So you might see that in the future. Um, records coming out in, in metal and punk, and there's a few other styles that really that really still warm to, to vinyl. It will come out vinyl only with a digital download code, right? CDs or eh. – I have a ton of CDs because I like those two in my car. They definitely sound better than MP3s. But, yeah. you know, you can kind of – the collector can get the big artwork if he buys the vinyl, and then you guess what? You have it for your player. Your, your MP3 player, iPod, or whatever. Um, it's tough. It really is to to, to decide. We 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 wanted to, to cover every base. We know that we have fans of varying ages who who, who found us in many different ways and said, "Well, we gotta we gotta supply product for as many as those as possible." And something you said a second ago. One funny moment was one of the guys checked the BitTorrent site and found our new album on there, and it was this really mixed emotion. Pilot's like, "Damn it, there goes record sales," but the other side of us was like, sweet, a bunch of people are hearing the record. <laughs> yeah. So uh, it's, a, it's a real tough thing, you know. <laughs> yeah, so Cat 22, you're happy that people care enough about the band since they're making a legal download of the right. record. But you also, you know, you also want to get paid for what you do because that's the only way you're going to survive right. down the road. And uh, that's fun. It's, it's it's sad, but it's funny. <laughs> it's, it's a weird thing. It is. It is. It really is. You, you want the – and again, at the end of the day, we're doing it for the art. And if people enjoy the music and – Perhaps if we're in their neck of the woods, come by and see a show. That's awesome. I just, it's just music that we like. We thought we weren't hearing, and we think other people weren't. Now it's not as much of a glut. We started in a pretty tough period, like we talked about earlier. But we're pretty proud of what we do, and we, we want to share that. That's why artists, you know, a lot of artists, I won't say all, that's why they do what they do. And if, yeah, again, if the money comes as a result of it, cool. But it's not the, it's not the motivator. It's because we love metal. That's, we're just metalheads, just like everybody else, you know? It's, it's like any artist, you know, it's for the love of creating, you know, whatever you're doing out there, whether it's art or music, you know, that's what it's all about. And I, and I'm glad you guys keep doing it. And I know, like, you've been the one constant in the band since the beginning. You had a lot of lineup changes over the years. I, it's to be expected in the business today going on as long as you guys have been going. But, it, I mean, there's a difficult bringing in new people and trying to get them to, you know, recreate, you know, the sound of the band the way it is or the way you want it to be. Or does it kind of have like maybe a, a benefit to where they bring in a different vibe that you weren't expecting and it kind of worked out to maybe change the course of the sound of the band over the years? Um, it, definitely a little of both. Um, I've been lucky that Dan Lynn, um, lead guitar, has been with me for 10 years now. And that's yeah. a good core. And we've been writing the bulk of the music together for a long, long time. So we've had that consistency. And uh, our drummer, Brian, he didn't track on The Great Bear, but um, the drummer who tracked the album couldn't, couldn't tour with us. 
and play any further. So we got Brian back, and he's if, if you if you subtract that blip around when the album was written and recorded, that's ten years there too. So we've been pretty lucky there. Um, bassists have have changed. We had a, vo- a, a standalone vocalist for a couple albums when when our sound went that direction. It is difficult. It, it was pretty noticeable on drums that it, it brought something very cool, different to the table when Alex came on and did the record, and. And then when Brian came back, it was strange seeing him reinterpret stuff that um, he didn't record, but then be able to play stuff that we in our set list that we had written with him that our other drummer had to interpret. So it's been kind of interesting finding those different styles and feels. You have to look at it positive. It, it is difficult bringing people even into the band in general because we're not a huge money-making cash cow Ferrari-driving band, and people have to do it because they want to do it. They like to travel some. They like, you know they want to work hard. Um, so it has to be a pure love up front. We don't have any kind of budget to hire session guys, and we could probably, you know, assemble some crazy all-star lineup if you know if I had to at some point. But um, if, if that money was there, but it's not. It's it, it's to it's to do it because of the love and in the different musicians and what they bring to the table. You just have to roll with it. You have to understand that it's a different color. Someone plays a solo slightly differently or sings a line. You know, a big one was when Chad Armstrong was singing for us the last two records. Um, we didn't play a ton of the stuff prior to that, the, stru- the structures and cosmos stuff. But when we did, he could sing really well too, and he would he would kind of do this cool hybrid of, of, of his real aggressive vocal style and the singing. And ironically, now that I'm having to cover the material live that he sang on, I'm trying to step up what I do and add a little kind of Chuck Billy into it or whatnot to kind of approach yeah. the intensity he did. And, of course, sing the original stuff the way it was was tracked. So, you know, it gets it, it, it interesting, too. If you went to a live show and you heard the albums or the songs sung exactly, performed exactly the way they were on the record every time, people wouldn't go to live shows. True. People go to live shows because you want to see the energy and – you take the little mistakes, you know, with a grain of salt, because it's all about the visual and the energy and the volume and the sweat. And it's a, so you, you have to look at it the same way when, when somebody else is playing a song who didn't maybe didn't track it. You know, that's their take on it. That's what makes it unique and real at that point right there. And that's, that's how we've always approached it. Yeah, and I was just going to ask you that, too, because I was going to say Chad sang with the band for years before you took over. Did you decide, you know, it was better for you to sing and not have to bring in different people so at least you know? you know, the vision you have for the band and where you wanted to go and not to be bothered, you know, bringing on another singer and, you know, trying to get him into the groove of things? Yeah, it was interesting. So, you know, I sang on the first two EPs and Chad sang on the on the two full lengths. Um, at the time, it started with a conversation I had with our bassist, Patrick Russell. We've known Patrick a long time, Dan and I have. He's been around in Metal King, playing some very good bands around Denver, Cerberus, Cephalic Carnage, and to name a couple we knew him for a long time, so he was a friend for a long time. And when there was kind of a, a slight meltdown in 2010 of the band, and when we decided to keep going, I, I called Patrick because I was in need of a bassist. And I said, look, here I got another album in me for sure. Let's write something along the lines of this. And the way the influences started lining up in our concepts, and we got Dan on board, I said, you know what, this vocal style like kind of lends itself to what I was doing a long time ago and yeah maybe it's be too ambitious to try to get somebody new in on vocals additionally let's strip this back and kind of do what we know and kind of revisit a period that was pretty good to us as a band so it just felt natural at the time to not want to replace that position and the other thing is it's difficult to find singing vocalists these days there's probably tons of them out there but it's 
it's easier to get the aggression out with a scream. And, man, a lot of it sounds awesome. I'm a big fan of a lot of bands of aggressive vocal styles. But it's just there's no one to pick from if you are if you put an ad out and look, or, you know, start looking around the bands. Because, you know, the most of metal right now, just if you, if you looked at numbers, has aggressive vocals versus singing. So I said, you know what? I can do it again. Let's just, let's just make this happen. So it's, it, I tell you, what, it's, a, it's a son of a bitch trying to sing some of the other earlier two album material live because the, the vocal parts were not written in mind with having a guitar being played at the same time. So they're sure. not at all in the same pattern. It's murder, too. <laughs> I can really detect my left, yeah, my left face. My, I think you have like respect for guys like Mustaine and Geddy Lee. Man, holy cow, what they do. Completely detach what they're playing with their hands to what they're singing. So it's maybe keep on my toes. It's probably a good thing. Def, I'm glad you got back behind the mic again for the new record and everything coming up in the future. But, Keith, I'm not going to keep you much longer. I, I do appreciate you talking to me today. Uh, I got one more question. How'd you hook up with Jack Pansy? You did some vocals uh, and, and Cole Moon back in the day. Yeah, you did your homework. I'm yeah. way impressed. Yeah, you know, I mean, um, that, I mean, it's a long time ago, but... Uh, it was. It was... Um, Okay, so in, in 1998, at the same time that the, the metal scene started kind of rebooting in Denver, there was, a, there was an, uh, an internet, there was an email list. There's like a forum that if you wrote to this one email address, everybody on it got it. So people were talking about shows and bands. I met a guy named Guy Kendall. Guy Kendall started that list, that email list. And um, some of the Jags Hanser guys, Mark, I think, particularly popped in and out. And he knew them because he, he lived in Colorado Springs where they live. And Silencer just put out our first little demo tape, and we were playing, and Guy had seen us. And he goes, hey, you guys aren't too far from the tree, from, you know, Jag Panzer tree, stylistically. And he just, when he, when he knew Mark, and Mark said, hey, we're, we're doing this album, Fading to the Throne, and we're looking for some, some backup vocals, and we're looking for singers. And it kind of, it's funny, because it talks to what we just spoke about. And Guy said, well, I know this, this new band who just formed, and they, they have a singer who actually sings, and he might be a good fit. And uh, I think Mark checked us out, or maybe a guy played him some stuff of ours. I was like, yeah, we'll have him by. And it was just this real rolling thing. He went to Mark's house, and Jim, the legendary Jim Morris producer was in his studio basement there. And um, Harry Conklin was there, and I got to meet him for the first time, and, and Mark, of course, in person. And we had seen Jag Panzer before live, um, but had not really met them. And then I got to be a part of a couple of really cool tracks. I think it was All Things Renewed and, and Power Surge, if I remember right. And... You know, it, that actually opened quite a few doors, and we did a, a live split with them that we just made 300 copies of. I'm sorry, Austin Cerberus did a live split of the show that Jag Panzer headlined in, um, that was in two, April of 2001. And we just started, all the, all the kind of true metal bands started banding together in the scene and, and playing shows together and that sort of thing, and then kind of more started forming around it. And uh, we got Harry to sing a cover of Wrathchild with us. It was a song that we had just been doing as a cover, but... You know, Harry can blow the roof off places. So we asked him if he wanted to do, uh, uh, come on stage and sing Rasha with us to close our set, and he did. And I'm glad we had it recorded because it was really fun. It was really, really. I remember writing Century Media saying, "Hey, is it okay if we use this?" And at the time, the label boss Marco Barbieri goes, "Absolutely, just make sure to send me a copy, you know, because he wanted yeah. to hear it too." <laughs> it was a lot of fun. Well, that's good stuff. Hey, Keith, listen, I appreciate you talking to me today. The Great Bear is out now. Everybody should pick it up. The best luck with the band, and please come back on anytime you want. Thank you so much, Mike. Let's stay in touch, all right? You got it, Keith. Take care, buddy. All right, bye-bye.
All right, there you go. Sound so with insignia. And if there's any record you have to go spend a few dollars and buy, it is definitely the Great Bear. I apologize for all the trouble we had on tonight's show. BTR was hacked into yesterday, like I says, and there's been nothing but trouble. Uh, and the switchboard is not working, so I'm kind of winging it and just kind of clicking the mouse around, hoping it lands on a play button somewhere. And before Signia actually started, I am Thunder again. I apologize, just that I can't see anything and nothing is working right. But I didn't think we did such a bad job, considering the circumstances surrounding today's show, but I want to thank Keith Spargo from Silence and Brian Ross from Satan and Blitzkrieg and Metalizer for being our guest tonight. Next week, calling in live, it's going to start right at the beginning of the show, just like with Brian tonight. Steve Ramsey of Satan also and Skyclad and many other bands. And then who else do we have next week? Oh, calling in live after that, George Call from Aska and, and Banshee these days. So don't forget to tune in. we got a great show and a killer way to close out the month of April. And this Thursday in the metal matinee, we'll kind of go by the old adage, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. This Thursday show is reinventing the wheel. So don't forget to tune in Thursday at 12 o'clock. Hopefully BTL will have everything worked out by then. So thank you, everybody, for listening. I appreciate it. Have a great night and take care. And you know what? We're going to give you maybe an after-show little bonus right now. Here's some nasty savage family circus for the people playing back the podcast.
Take 